And we're going to read from Acts chapter 8. It's on page 1101. Because in this story that we're going to read together, we find a man who asks this very question. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Let's see how he answered the question. Acts chapter 8 from verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandake, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading the passage, this passage of Scripture. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch said, uh, asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself? Or someone else. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture. And told him the good news about Jesus. As he travelled along the road. They came to some water. And the eunuch said look here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Well, this is God's uh, word to us this evening. Well, it's a question that you may never have asked, But I'd like you to consider it tonight. Not why should I be baptized, which is a very good question, but why shouldn't, why shouldn't I be baptized? I've heard many answers to that question over the years. Reasons why people say they couldn't or shouldn't be baptized. If you want to visualize it, uh, people believe that there are certain hoops that they must jump through, which are are too high or perhaps too difficult to manage. So, for example, let me give you a few instances. There's the maturity hoop. The idea that someone must be a a quote-unquote solid Christian before they take this step. And if they are not well-read or well-established in their faith, they are not ready. So the logic goes for baptism. 
Another common notion we could call the, the guidance hoop. You know the idea. If you ask this person, what are they waiting for? They'll say the Lord. And they're looking for some heavenly signpost to plant itself in terra firma, uh, pointing the way directly to the baptismal pool. And until such a time, they say, I shouldn't. I just shouldn't be baptized. There's also, of course, the church hoop. It's common among those who are on the fringes of church life. And it's the idea that, that maybe you need to have some kind of religious background. Some kind of church pedigree. Maybe attend Charlotte Chapel for several years. Maybe then you can be baptized. Or another very common one is what we might call the approval hoop. A sensitive one I know for many people. But but those who say, I would be baptized, but I don't want to offend some significant other. Maybe a spouse, maybe a parent, maybe a friend. See, there, there are all sorts of reasons why people say, I shouldn't. I just shouldn't be baptized. I couldn't do what Graham is doing this evening. But I want to ask with you, just for a few moments, actually, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say are the requirements for baptism? See, actually, in Scripture itself, there are some reasons why you shouldn't be baptized in certain circumstances. But, you know, there's probably a lot fewer than many of us imagine. So, let's open the Bible again, if you've closed it, to Acts chapter 8, because it's in this passage that we see some basic requirements for baptism. In fact, as Graham was suggesting, we nearly always use three points. And so, three basic requirements. Number one, the requirement of understanding. The requirement of understanding, that's to say that if you lack a basic understanding of the gospel, you shouldn't be baptized. Not yet, anyway. Now, let's not be confused about this. This doesn't mean that you have to be super intelligent. This Ethiopian eunuch was was a man of considerable intelligence, and yet he lacked the understanding required. In fact, this, this guy, he was the treasurer uh, of the empire of Ethiopia. In these days, not just a small country, uh, but it covered large swathes of northern Africa. And this guy is holding the purse strings. He, he's got a lot of, of mental ram up there. And he, he was a traveling man. Here he is, he's making a 1,200 mile round trip to Jerusalem. He's seen the world beyond his doorstep, even beyond his continent. And we even learn, it's an interesting touch, that he was reading the Greek Old Testament, which was probably not his first language. And here he is, he's just reading this on the way home. He's a very smart cookie. And yet when Philip comes along and he asks him, do you understand what you are reading, verse 30? These spiritual things, this highly educated guy says, I don't have the faintest idea. How can I, he says. Not because he lacks intelligence. And neither, you notice, because he lacks a Bible. Sometimes, Christian friends, we may think that if we get a Bible into people's hands, uh, then that will be the end of it. But this guy is reading Isaiah chapter 53, and he's still confused. 
Led like a sheep to the slaughter, cut off from the land of the living. Who on earth is the writer talking about? Just as people read the Bible today, even from cover to cover, and miss the point altogether. Reminds me of the story of the little boy whose mother uh, forced him to read the novel War and Peace. You know, the great uh, beast of a book. And uh, the boy took the book, uh, he went away, returned half an hour later, and uh, when his mom asked him, he said, oh, I've finished the book. Well, his mother was a, a little bit skeptical, so she quizzed him on it. She said, uh, what was the book about? Oh, he said, I think it was something about Russia. And you see, people, people read the Bible that way. They, they, they skim the pages from cover to cover, and their understanding of it is very superficial. Just ask the average Joe or Jane on Edinburgh High Street. And they'll tell you that the Bible is something about God and something about the Ten Commandments. It's a nice book with quaint stories. They may even say, oh, that's the one about Jesus. He was a remarkable teacher, wasn't he? And yet you see the impression is vague. And there is clear on the Gospel essentials as the view from Arthur's seat when the horror's coming in on a cold Edinburgh morning. They don't have the foggiest. They don't realize that Isaiah 53, and indeed the whole Bible, is essentially a message about Jesus Christ. They don't realize that God sent his son into the world to be led like a sheep to the slaughter. And they don't realize that they are sinners. That they've turned away from God. And that the reason Jesus came was to be the ransom for many. Paying the price with his own blood. Why don't they understand They have a Bible, they have a brain, but as Peter quoted this morning, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Christ. See, Satan on the one hand and sin on the other hand cloud our understanding. And only God can graciously turn the light on. So let me just... Let's pause at this point and say, you know, this is what we're looking for in baptismal interviews. Does this person get the heart of the Bible? Does this person understand that it's about we are sinners and Jesus is the Savior? Or, or is it all fog? Such a wonderful uh, thing we have this course, uh, Christianity Explored, and it's such a wonderful thing when people come through the course, smart people, processing all the information week by week, and suddenly one week, wham! And it's as if somebody has just flipped on a light switch, and they suddenly see themselves, and they suddenly see Jesus Christ, and they say, I can't believe, I've never seen this before. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord. And they have the greatest aha moment in their lives. But you know, for that to happen... A second requirement usually needs to follow. So requirement number two is preaching. Preaching. And this is interrelated to the the first point. You see, if people will understand the gospel, particularly in the the foggy days in which we live, they will likely need someone to come alongside and to explain and to apply the truths about Jesus. Oh, how we need men and women like Philip who come alongside the chariot, 
Come alongside this man in all his confusion, in all his questions, ready to be God's messenger, ready to be, as we heard this morning, that jar of clay, possessing the treasure of God's truth. People are blinded by darkness. Only God can dispel darkness. So what does God do? Does he send an angel? No. He sends an angel to send a man. Verse 26. And the angel says to Philip, go south to the desert road. Philip doesn't even know why he's going there. God doesn't tell him. But when he gets there, uh, there's this guy coming along in his chariot. And it's immediately obvious what he's got to do. This man's reading Isaiah the prophet. He's scratching his head. Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? The man answers, how can I? And underline this, what he now says, unless someone explains it to me. He invites Philip into the chariot. Philip begins to explain the gospel, begins to tell him about Jesus from that very passage of Scripture. And if you're a Christian, this is something you could do. Isaiah 53, he no doubt simply says to the man that this is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus was led like a lamb. That Jesus didn't open his mouth. Didn't you know that he was humiliated? He was mocked. He was beaten. He was killed outside Jerusalem. Let me just show you a few cross-references, he would have said. You can do that if you're a Christian tonight. And we must do this. You know, if we're going to be conspicuous for Christ in our city, we need a church full of preachers. There's only a few preachers from this pulpit or a select few other pulpits. Edinburgh's in big trouble. You need to go to the desert road where people are. And I'm sorry if you feel inadequate. I feel inadequate. But God made it that way. Again, just remember the sermon this morning. It is treasure in jars of clay. And remember again that, that quote from Paul, the question that still rings out to the church on the 199th anniversary. How can they, the world, believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone, what? Finish the sentence. Preaching to them. Without a booming voice, without a three-point sermon, you need to do that. And you can do that. Peter said this morning, God doesn't take angels and make them do this job. He uses us. I can think of only one person I know who became a Christian almost without, almost without preaching. He didn't come to church at all before he came to faith. I think he went maybe as a young boy and his grandmother was a Christian, but that was it. Uh, he went to a training course and the lecturer at the, at the end of the session said, you know, if you want a book that's full of wisdom for life, uh, go and read the Bible. And so he was wanting to get on. He went out, he bought the Bible, started to read it. And read it. And read it. And God began to give him some understanding. And he began to get the conviction that he needed to get right with God. And that there was something wrong with him. And yet, even he needed someone. He was driving along one day in his car and he saw a banner for a radio, Christian radio station. And so he tuned it in on the dial and there's this guy on the other end and he's talking about how you become a Christian. And he says, if you're in your car just now and you want to become a Christian, why don't you pull it over at the side of the road? So he pulled it over at the side of the road and this man led him to Christ. It's a true story. See, God really does work with divine power through human means. 
It's amazing. It's a challenge for those of us who are Christians. And it is also, it's also the removal of one excuse tonight if you're not a Christian. Because however inadequately, you've heard a preacher tonight. Someone explaining the gospel, telling you that Jesus died to forgive your sins if you accept it by faith. That leads us to the, the third requirement. So we're on to that now. Believing. Understanding. Preaching. Third requirement is believing. There's a little footnote in the Bible. This might not interest you too much initially, but you, you might notice that when we read, there was verse 36 and there was verse 38, but what happened to verse 37? And in the footnote, there's a, you read what the verse is, verse 37, it's a debated verse. Most people think that it, it was added later, that in the early church, it was a sort of baptismal formula that people said at baptisms. So they don't include it. And maybe, maybe they thought, when it came to the end of the story, there was something missing. Uh, where, was the, where was the faith response, you know, of this Ethiopian eunuch? So maybe they, they sort of added this verse in, that he, he believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. I think actually that was a bit of a mistake to try and do that, because in actual fact, though there is no mention of faith in the response of the eunuch, though it doesn't say explicitly that he believed in Jesus, it is very clear that he trusted in Christ by what he did. See, these guys missed the point that in the move towards baptism, there was the assumption of faith and in its act, the profession of faith. See, that's essentially what baptism is. It's an outward, symbolic and visual declaration of our heartfelt faith in Jesus Christ. We can just assume this man believes because he expresses his faith in baptism. And so as as they're moving along in the chariot, and this is going on in his heart, he looks out and he says, here's some water. This would be a good spot. And he goes down with Philip into the water where he is baptized. And as he does, he identifies himself with Jesus Christ, as Peter was explaining with his death as he plunged beneath the water, and with his resurrection as he emerged to new life. And you see, what he was saying with that symbolic declaration was, this is the team I'm on. He says, this is the one that I'm counting on and that I'm trusting in. Jesus, crucified and risen. That's what baptism says. It's it's a badge of association with Jesus Christ. Last week, some uh, church friends uh, gave my children some dressing up outfits. Thank you very much, whoever you are. Um, it, it's a frightening experience going around your uh, house in your slippers and a fully dressed Indian jumps out at you or, or a, a sort of a fireman trying to save you, but, you know, actually about to kill you. Um, well, just to use the analogy from that, you know, my children could dress up in the outfit of a soldier. You were here this morning. We had Saul. And they can play the part, you know, act the part. And of course, they are just pretending. It's possible to wear an outfit, isn't it, and pretend. It's possible to be baptized and to pretend. It's possible. But you know, if if, if I saw, if you saw a group of young men in their 20s, 
all wearing the uniform, maybe bearing rifles, with the stripes on show, you would probably assume, and probably rightly, that they are soldiers, wouldn't you? In fact, you might even know what regiment they belong to because of the stripes that they wear. And you see, with baptism, it's where we put on the uniform. And and it's where we say, I belong to Christ. I'm on His team. Because He gave His life for me, now I'm going to give my life for Him. And so, the simple, very simple challenge this evening. I wonder tonight whether you are willing to nail your colors to the mast. To adorn your colors. You see, actually there are only a few prerequisites for baptism. This guy has no extensive knowledge of the Bible. He was not a solid Christian. He didn't come from a Christian background. He had no approval for any, from anyone. And dear knows how this would have went down when he got back to Ethiopia. And yet he had enough. He had all that was required. Assuming tonight that you've not been baptized before as a believer. If you have an understanding of the gospel. And if you've heard a preacher explain the gospel. And if you've come to faith believing in Jesus Christ. That he died for your sin. As Graham was telling us. That he took our shame. Bore our punishment then the question is not even, why should you be baptized? The question is, why shouldn't you? Why shouldn't you? The only thing that should stop you tonight is if you're not a Christian. And even that can change. If you come to Jesus tonight, put all your trust in Him, give your life over to Him, your life will never be the same. Let's pray together.